Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. Today we are on part seven of our I Believe series. Part seven. Why are we doing an I Believe series? Because our world is all about deconstruction and pulling things apart and breaking things down and saying, I don't believe in that. You know, that you break up all of our, uh, you know, leadership systems, political systems, the church, government, and systems, uh, the way we do things, us as individuals, who am I really? Our own families are being pulled apart. Our own human sexuality is being questioned and pulled apart. And where it leaves people, it may seem like, oh, we're going to be in a better place. Where at least people, they don't have any feet to stand upon. By the way, as I've said it every week that I've mentioned this, there are things that do need to be questioned. Isn't that right? Yeah, we can't just, Jesus, in fact, said, you have made your traditions, you, because of your traditions, you've made the word of God of no effect. So it's not like things don't have to be questioned. But let me tell you, we do have to come back and say, where are our feet planted on and standing on? Because it says multiple times in the Bible that the just shall live by faith. Not by questions, but by faith. It's the very first thing that Satan did with Adam and Eve, right? God gave the heaven and the earth, and then he had Adam and Eve, and God gave him one command, and what did he do? What did he do? Satan came as a serpent, and he questioned God's word. As God indeed said, it's because we're trying to break things down, trying to break God's word and get it out of our hearts. But let me tell you, it's important that we know what we believe. Let me say this to everybody. It's important that you know what you believe. It's important that you really have two feet to stand upon. In fact, I got to a time in my life, I remember when I was in Bible college, and I was studying the Word and studying the Word, and it got me questioning everything I believed so much that I remember I couldn't even say, this is what the Word of God says. I, I'd always have to preface and say, well, what I believe is, but I'd almost say it in a backward way. What I believe is this, What I because I don't want to offend people because, you know, it's really not what I believe, it's what do you believe. How many know God has something he believes <laughs> and I want to believe what God believes. W- would you agree with me? I want to believe what God believes. So the thing we can be confident about, the truth, is the Word of God. So we always want to go back to the Word of God, and, uh, and we want to really, if we're going to question what we believe, we want to question it according to the Word of God. So we, we went over uh, several things. Let me see if I can get all these right. Number one was I believe in salvation. Number two was I believe that Jesus is Lord. Number week three, we talked about I believe in the Holy Spirit. Week four, we talked about I believe in, uh, in, in uh, God's word. And then we talked about I believe in Christ's church. And today we're talking about I believe in prayer. And it just so happens that it's on the week that we're starting prayer. Pretty cool. I didn't plan it this way. But it just so happens that we're, I believe in prayer is this week and we're starting I believe in prayer. And the main point that I want to get across to you is this. Prayer is an essential part of our lives. Remember that word, by the way, when COVID first happened, essential businesses and non-essential? And, and you're thinking, essential? You know, Starbucks is essential? <laughs> you know, or like, this is essential, this is not essential, but they closed down other things that weren't essential. And it was all, some of it was just rel- relative, right, to what you think was essential and what's not. Let me tell you, prayer is essential to our lives. 
Prayer is an essential part of our lives. We all may say some, you know, essential versus convenience. Like, for instance, coffee. How many would say uh, coffee is an essential in my life? Okay. Other people, it's, it's, it's convenient, right? If you never had it again, you'd be okay. Right? Right? You, you'd never have. Television. Television is an essential to some people. In fact, if, if your TV broke, some of you would need some counseling. Right? I need some counseling. Why? What's wrong? I don't know. TV broke. I don't know what to do, right? I can't watch those, you know, Netflix, or I can't watch, you know, YouTube TV or whatever you're watching. I can't watch it. Sports is essential to others. If you took away sports, in fact, when basketball or football or, or hockey or, you know, some of these got canceled because of COVID and all this, you're thinking, what do I do? What do I watch? So you have to go back and watch all the old seasons and all the, you know, the historic type things. Why? Because sports is essential. To some video games is essential. How, how you know something's essential is when I say it, you go, not that. <laughs> it's not essential. I can, it's like someone says, I, I can give up smoking anytime. Anytime, you know. Are you going to give it up? No, no, but I could. I could if I wanted, right? See, different people have different things that are essential uh, to them. Uh, news. News. You, you know, whether you're a CNN or a fox, I think we can kind of just say political parties by that, right? Or, or whatever you believe on this side or whatever you believe on that side. If you cut off the news, oh, no, hey, don't mess with my news. You know, I'll have some people will get into discipleship and you, you, you cut down to where you can only watch, you know, an hour or two of TV or something, you know, every week or every day or whatever. And they'll say, what about the news? It's like the news and the word of God are those two things that kind of, to some, I have to know what's going on in my world. It's essential. It's essential. I'll tell you something that's essential to a lot of us is our phone. Have you ever left the house and you forgot your phone and you thought, how am I going to get through the day? Now, you know where to go. You know what you're doing. You're not really having a complicated day. But you need your phone. What if someone needs to get a hold of me? And, and I, I was explaining this to one of my kids a while back to, to say, do you know we never had phones? And they're like, that was way back then, though, Dad. I go, no, no, no. The iPhone came out in, I think, 2006. I remember I got it on the day that it came out. <laughs> the iPhone came out on that particular day. And I think I've had my phone with me every single day since then. To some, it's essential. I remember our very first trip to to Memphis, Tiffany and I, it was in April of 2017, and we were driving along, and, and we were like, what's this Shelby Forest? Do you remember that? Where's this Shelby Forest? And we drove up to Shelby Forest. It's kind of north of, of downtown, you know, up there, and, and so we're driving in there, and we had our phones on, and I'm looking in directions, and all of a sudden, our phone, no signal. And I started thinking of those, those television, you know, and those movies to where someone lost their signal. And, they, and, and like all of a sudden something jumped out. And, they were, and I literally, I started getting fear. Like, I don't have a signal. And I don't know where I am. I'm stuck in the middle of the world. I don't know where I am. And then the signal came back. I said, praise God. Let's just see where I am. I'm going to screenshot it and just kind of get, you know. Because we get so used to our phones are essential. I'll tell you another thing that's essential is this internet access. Internet access. People will walk in. Now, you may not think of that because maybe your phone, you use everything on cellular. But you walk into a place and you say, do they have Internet access? Does the airport have Internet access? Does the mall have Internet access? Does the store have Internet access? Because you always want to be able to have access online. Let me tell you why prayer is essential. Because prayer is like Internet access to God. Just like we have internet access, we have access to information and the internet, which is kind of like power. When you have prayer, prayer is two-way communication. 
It's not just you communicating with God. It's him communicating with you. And when you cut off your prayer life or you don't have a developed prayer life, it's like you having a weak signal. You're trying to get information. You're trying to communicate information, but you have a weak signal that's not really strong. How many like bad internet? Nobody likes that, right? You like, I mean, I want internet to where when I click on a, a website on something, bam, it just pops up right away. If it takes longer than one second, it, no. I want quick internet. But do you know that's how it should be with prayer with God? I want access to God. And God wants you to have access with him. That, that's why he says in the book of Hebrews, it says, let us enter the holiest boldly by the blood of Jesus. It didn't say he's trying to hide himself from us. Prayer is something where we have access to God. Now, I want to point out something to you with that in mind. Jesus essential. What was essential to Jesus? And let me tell you why prayer was the most essential thing to Jesus. I want you to look in John chapter 5. It says here, for this reason, John chapter 5 verse 16, for this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things because he performed a miracle on the Sabbath. Man, what a horrible thing he did. He, he helped someone on the Sabbath, okay? And it says, but Jesus answered them when he did this thing on the Sabbath. Jesus answered him and said, my father has been working until now. What is he saying? He's saying, it's not me. You have to understand the father keeps working on the Sabbath, and if he's working, I'm working. He says, the father has been working until now, and he says, and I have been working. See, if the father has plans and he's, Jesus is seeing these plans, why? Because he's in prayer. He's seeing these plans. He's saying, if he's working, then I'm working. It's like you ever work for a boss or you work with somebody, and when they work on Mondays, you work on Mondays. When they work on Saturdays, you work on Saturdays. When they work on Sundays, you work on Sundays. When God works on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I'm working on the Sabbath. Why? Because that's what I saw God doing today, so I have to keep following his plan. Okay? Because he was in prayer. Constant communication. He had internet access, so to speak. By the way, if you haven't received one of these handouts, if you don't have one of these handouts, can you raise your hand? Somebody will get you one right now. One of these handouts. This is a handout for uh, what we're going over today. A handout in prayer. It's a way that you can learn about prayer, but also be able to teach someone else about prayer. So we're going through a series of questions. Jesus' essentials were this. He said, my father's working, and so I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, not only because he broke the Sabbath now, but because he called God his father, making himself equal to God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, listen to this, most assuredly, somebody say most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. Somebody say nothing. Jesus said the son can do nothing of himself. Nothing of himself, he says, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he, the Father, does, that's what the Son does also. Well, let me ask you, where did Jesus see the Father doing things? Where? In prayer. What if Jesus didn't have time to pray that day? He didn't see anything. And what would happen miraculously in his life? Nothing. And what, how, what if we would follow, Jesus is our example, if we would follow the same thing and we would say in our lives we don't do anything unless we see the Lord doing it, the Father doing it. But we didn't have time to pray that day. How affected would we be spiritually in our lives that day? Not at all. So without prayer, without prayer in our lives, we will be hit and miss spiritually. 
Without prayer, we will be trying things out, and sometimes it works, and we call it the will of God, and sometimes it's not, and we just say, well, I guess it wasn't the will of God. But how many, how many know it would be helpful to avoid things outside of the will of God? Yeah. How, what's the best way to avoid things outside of the will of God? Stay in prayer. Stay connected, so to speak. Do you have Wi-Fi access? No. Do you have God access? That's what prayer is. We need to stay attached and connected to the Spirit. So to Jesus, the most essential part of his life was knowing and seeing what his father did. And even if he crossed lines like the Sabbath and things like that, he was saying, if the father's doing it, I'm sorry, I'm doing it too. I'm right there with it. Prayer is not optional. Prayer is essential. So I'm going to give you four points on here. Uh, we need to pray always, pray alone, pray with others, and praise and worship. Okay, pray always. I'm going to go over a few things here. Pray always. You don't need to look up these scriptures, but they're going to be on your screen. I'd love for you to take a pen and answer these things. They're just short answers, most of them. Let's ask the question, when should we pray? When should we pray? First Corinthians, or First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, rejoice Always pray without ceasing. So how often should we pray? Does that mean right now? Does that mean you should be connected to the Lord right now? Yeah, that means that you should, your heart should be open to the Holy Spirit to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. You're listening to my words, but you're really listening to the Holy Spirit to see what he's saying, okay? So always, always. Uh, where should we pray? Well, First Timothy chapter 2 Verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says, I desire therefore that men pray, what's the word? Men pray every, well, does that mean at work? Yeah. Does that mean at McDonald's? <laughs> does that mean at Chick-fil-A? Does that mean, does that mean uh, uh, going down and paying your electric bill somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Does that mean uh, uh, sweeping, sweeping your kitchen? Yeah. Does that mean doing the dishes? Yeah. Yeah, men should pray everywhere. Now, it didn't say you need to stand up on a box and you need to say, oh, I'm praying for everybody. No, no, but it's saying you should be in constant connection, constant praying. Men should pray everywhere. It says um, uh, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I know I asked you to do it earlier, but I know that some people may come from a church where you didn't lift your hands very much. Well, look right here. He says pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Just somebody lift your hands right now. Would you do it? That's what he's saying. Okay. Without wrath or doubting, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm not mad and I'm not in doubt. What am I? I'm happy and in faith. I'm a happy faith person. That's what I am. And I have my hands up that we should pray everywhere. Um, what things should we pray about? Well, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Be anxious for nothing or, or don't fret or have anxiety about anything. How many things should we be worried about? No. In fact, do you know worrying is, is a, that the Lord tells you not to do it. It's a commandment not to worry. I'm just a worry work. That's like saying, um, you know, I don't want to say an adulterer, but it, it's sin. It's against the word. If Jesus said don't worry and you say I'm just a worry work, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm just a thief. I'm just a thief. Well, don't be proud of being a worry work. No. Be a person that humbles yourself. First Peter said, cast your care on him. Humble yourself, casting all of your care on him. Well, I don't feel that. Do it by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, not by feelings, okay? So be anxious for nothing but in everything. Somebody say everything. By prayer and supplication. In uh, New Living Translation it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Everything. And you might say, what about that too? 
The thing that you're thinking about, well, what's prayer going to do? That too. Don't worry about it. Pray. Well, how should we pray? How should we pray? Well, I'm going to point out two, two things that we should, how we should pray from Scripture. If you look in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything and say these next three words, according to his will. It's four words. <laughs> according to his will. If you ask anything according to his will, how should we pray? Come on, somebody. How should we pray? According to his will. So what if you don't know the will of God? Open the Bible, find the will of God, and pray the word. His will is his word, right? So find what God says about it. Not find out what Aunt Betsy and happened to her life and experience. Not, not what the preacher told you about. Not what somebody else told you about. Go back and find out what God said about it and pray the will of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known, and the word of God is the will of God. So go back and find out what the word says. So how should we pray? According to his will. Okay. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. It says, therefore I say to you, Jesus said, whatever things you ask when you pray, what's the next word? Believe. Believe. Somebody say believe. Believe, believe that you receive them. Receive them when? When you pray, and you will have them later. Notice you believe you receive them now. Whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe you receive them, and you will have them. Well, I'll believe it when I receive them. No, you believe it when you pray, and you'll receive them after. So a requirement of prayer is you got to pray the will of God, but another requirement of prayer is that you pray in faith. you got to pray believing. James 1.6 says, but let him ask, somebody say, in faith. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven by the wind. Notice, not driven by the word. Not, notice, not driven by the will of God, but driven by the wind, driven by the circumstances, right? Driven by the wind and toss. For let not that man, read this with me, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What made that man ineffective? Was it sin? What was it? It was doubt and unbelief. Doubt and unbelief are your enemy. In prayer, doubt and unbelief are your enemy. We have to pray in faith. And if you say, well, how do I get faith? Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We have to get into the word and be convinced about a certain, about the area we're praying about. Find out what God says about it. And then believe you receive it and you will have it. So how should we pray? According to the will of God and believing in faith, right? Okay. Who should we pray to? Somebody needs to listen to this because you think you know everything about prayer. Who should we pray to and in whose name? Well, John 16, 23 says, and in that day you will ask me, who, who's talking? He says, in that day you will ask me nothing, and then what's the next words? Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So when we pray, who do we ask? Then why do we pray to Jesus? No, no, no. Why do we, Dear Jesus, I pray today that you'd give me. No, Jesus said in that day you'll ask me nothing. Scripturally, I'm just talking about scripturally. Scripturally, do you ask the Holy Spirit for things? No. Scripturally, do you ask Jesus for things? No. Scripturally, you ask the Father. You say, Father. In fact, Jesus said when you pray, say, our Father, 
right? So script, now, by the way, I'm not, I, I know some people get all dogmatic about this and get kind of like, oh, no, I messed up. No, you know, I don't think the Lord's like, you said Jesus. No way, you're not getting it. You said Holy Spirit, you're not getting it. No, 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 I'm just saying, but we do want to grow in, in what Scripture says. And Jesus did make a point to say, you're not going to ask me for things, guys. You're going to ask the Father. But notice, in whose name? In my name. Why? Because everything that's been provided for us, all the spiritual life and gifts and things that he's given us, he's given us through Jesus, through the new covenant, through the name of Jesus, right? All authority has been given uh, you in heaven and earth, me in heaven and earth, therefore go and in my name do these things. So we say, Father, somebody say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you. That's, that's scriptural. That's scriptural, okay? So we ask the Father in the name of Jesus. doesn't say we ask Jesus. We ask the Father. Okay. Praying alone. Praying alone. Um, if anyone could teach us about prayer, it would be our master, our savior, Jesus, okay? Uh, praying alone. Where and when did Jesus pray? Well, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, now, somebody say, in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight. <laughs> How many are morning people in here? Yeah, you like that scripture. <laughs> you like that. And the others say, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take off my what would Jesus do bracelet, you know. How many are late, like you, you're, you're late at night and you wake up a little bit later? Yeah, okay. I, I know, listen, Jesus, Jesus woke up early in the morning long before daylight. I don't, what time would that be? What time is daylight? Six o'clock? So what, what's long before daylight? 5.45? No, 5 o'clock? Yeah, maybe 4, four, four o'clock. I don't know. Some, but Jesus woke up a long time before daylight, okay? And, and he went, what does it say? And he went to a solitary place. That means he went, he went to go be alone, and there he prayed. So where, what, where was Jesus' prayer life? It was early in the morning when people weren't awake, in an alone place by himself. Okay, that's where Jesus prayed. Where did Jesus say that hypocrites like to play, pray? Where did Jesus say that hypocrites like to play and why? Listen, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be, somebody say, seen by men. Yeah, hypocrites like to pray in front of people. They like to do things in front of people so that people can, can, can you know, I remember when cameras uh, first came on in, in church or things. We used to, I used to be at a church and we'd have a big church and we'd have this big IMAG, you know, screen up here to where people would take shots and things. And people would, people would be worshiping like this because I'd, I'd lead worship so I'd get to see, I saw everything. I'd get to see people and they're worshiping like this and the camera would, the camera would come over and they'd go. They'd worship, and then out of the corner of their eye, they'd be like this, like, like are, am I catching up on screen? Am I on screen? See, they're thinking about, am I performing so that when you look at me, I can look spiritual on that? And, when, and I'm not saying that their hearts were all bad. I mean, sometimes you just don't want to look like, like you're asleep or something, you know. But he says the hypocrites, he says, don't be like hypocrites who have to pray in the synagogues, standing in the synagogues at the corner of the streets. Hypocrites, by the way, literally, it means an actor or an assumed character. That's literally what, if you look up the word 
in Greek, hypocrite. It's an actor or assumed character. It would be like if you've ever been watching a movie and they're going through something and, 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 and someone next to you, they're crying. I do the same thing. I'm crying, feeling for them. Someone like leans on and they goes, they're just acting. They're just acting. It's not really, I go, yeah, but it's what they're going through. Quit ruining it. Move your seat over there. I'm trying to go through. But listen, an, a hypocrite is an actor. They're acting like they're praying. They're acting like they're worshiping, but their intent and their heart is what you think about me. Okay? That's what he's saying. Don't be like the hypocrites who has to be in front of people in order to serve God. Okay? Uh, where did Jesus tell his disciples to pray and why? and why? Well, in the next verse, he says, but when you pray, somebody say, go into your room. Prayer room. Go into your room, and when you shut the door, pray to your father who's in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I want you to notice, private prayer equals open rewards. Private prayer equals open rewards. I heard a pastor recently that was going through some, a situation. He said he went to the Lord, and he's evaluating his own life, and he realized that he was praying more publicly than he was privately. He was praying more in front of people than he was behind doors. And he realized that that was the whole mistake of his life. Do you know we can do that? We can say, well, our time where we, we worship and we pray is with other people. Let me tell you, if you don't have a private prayer life, you'll be missing things spiritually. And so Jesus said, go into your room and pray to your Father. Well, how did Jesus teach his disciples to pray when they came and said, Lord, teach us to pray? Well, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, right after this. In verse 9 it says, in this manner, therefore pray. What does it mean? According to this pattern, according to this way, when you pray, you don't have to say these words, but in this manner pray. Okay, like this. Number one, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First of all, you're praying to Father. You're praying relationally to your Father. By the way, at, up to this point, nobody taught to call God Father. In fact, you just saw he was about to get, like, in trouble or stoned uh, or killed because he called God his father, right? And yet he's telling us, when you pray, say the same thing. Say, our father, notice, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is, is, is holy, hallowed. It means distinct. It means separate, unlike any other. You're coming to him and you're saying, father in heaven, holy is your name. The second verse in uh, 10, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know that in heaven the will of God is happening? In heaven there's no sickness. In heaven there's no disease. In heaven there's no anarchy or rebellion. In heaven there's no, there's no protest going on. In heaven there's no racism going on. In heaven there's no separation. There's, there's love. There's family. And he says let's all the problems and the things that we have going on in our world is because of really selfishness, the love of money, the love of self, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And what is he saying? He's saying, come to the Father on a regular basis and saying, Father, your will be done. In fact, do it with me right now. Would you say, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Say this, your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's what we should be praying. Lord, let it be done the way it is in heaven. Let things be in order the way they are in heaven. He says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. We're supposed to pray for our needs. But I want you to notice you're not supposed to pray for your needs tomorrow. Or the next day. Or the next day. He says, give us our daily bread. When there was manna, when they were giving the children of Israel manna, how much did he give them manna for? For that day. In fact, if they collected for tomorrow, what would happen? It would rotten. 
See, sometimes we pray for manna tomorrow because of lack of faith. I remember when I was younger, I said to the Lord, I was like, well, you said whatever I ask, you'll give me. So, Lord, I pray for a million dollars. I remember praying. I got on my knees. I said, I pray for a million dollars right now. I was a teenager. I was probably like 18 years old. I said, I pray for a million dollars. And, uh, and I remember the Holy Spirit just, just shot right back at me and said, uh, why do you need a million dollars? I said, um, I don't know. And I said, well, honestly, so that I don't have to pray for a while. <laughs> I was being so I don't have to pray for a while. Yeah, see, sometimes we want to get something so that we lose the relational thing. But the relationship, he said, our Father, give us today. Why? Because if we pray and need a Father every day of our lives, we'll stay connected with him. We'll stay connected with Father God, right? So don't worry about tomorrow. In fact, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, there's enough to think about today, right? Um, give us today our daily bread. Somebody just pray that today. Give me today everything I need. By the way, you don't even know all you need. <laughs> you, may think you, you may think you're more in touch with what you need. God's more in touch with what you need than you are. I, th I know there's some things you'd leave off the list, and I know some things you'd add to the list that God really may not be there. That's why he says, give us today our daily bread. Look at And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I want you to notice it's forgiveness to me and forgiveness from me, both. Forgive us our debts. It's one of the things we should pray. Let's say this today. Father, forgive me from every sin and every debt. And I forgive every person who owes me. I release them today. They don't even owe me an apology. I forgive them because I'm forgiven. Listen, hurt people, hurt people. Forgiven people, forgive people. Walk in forgiveness. What did Paul say? He said, I always, I try to always have a, a clear conscience before God and man all the time. Why? Because I don't want my spiritual life to be affected. If your spiritual life is cloudy and affected, it'll affect every area, including relational, financial, including every single area of your life. You've got to have a clear spiritual life. So what did he say? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice this. Lead us not into temptation. Sometimes we get embarrassed about our temptations. How many, how many ever are tempted? Yeah, tempted. Listen, did you know Jesus was tempted? In fact, Jesus was tempted in, in all the same areas you're tempted in, yet without sin. So you shouldn't be ashamed of your temptation. You should say, lead me away from temptation. Lord, you see the pitfalls ahead. Lead me away. In fact, pray this with me right now. Lead me away from temptation. Deliver me from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Yeah, that's how we pray. That's how we pray. Okay, so we are supposed to pray alone, but we're all supposed to have corporate prayer, and we're all supposed to pray with others, also supposed to pray with others too. Let me just ask you a few questions on this. If we look at the first church, the early church, the way things were um, happened in the early church, we can see a, a good uh, demonstration of how they operated with prayer. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 13, it says, And when they entered... They went up to the upper room, and, uh, and they, they were staying, Peter, John, uh, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. I want you to notice, they all continued with one accord 
in prayer and supplication. All of these uh, guys, after Jesus left, they stayed together and they prayed together. So what, what were the disciples doing as they were approaching the day of Pentecost? They were praying. They were in prayer together. They weren't just getting together and playing checkers, playing chess, playing uh, cornhole. What were they doing? They were getting together and they were praying. They were praying together. Uh, what did the believers do after they heard that Peter and John was, was arrested? Did they, um, did they just talk about it? No, it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders and said to them, read verse 24 with me. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. What did they do when they heard that they were in prison? They prayed for them. They stopped and they prayed for him. What should you do when you hear that someone's in a, a deep trouble? You should stop and pray for him. Stop and pray for him. Don't just say, oh, man, too bad. They deserve it. I wonder what they did wrong. No, you stop and you pray for him. It is mean. <laughs> in the midst of persecution, what did they ask God for? In the midst of persecution. See, sometimes when we're persecuted, we'll get together and say, that's not right. We're going to stand up, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't lead you to do things. He does, does lead you to do things. But I want you to notice what it's listed, what they did here. In the midst of persecution, it says, uh, Acts 4, 29 through 30, it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the whole, your holy servant Jesus. What they're saying is, God, when they're coming against me naturally, I pray that your supernatural power would take over. I pray that your supernatural power would intervene for the situation and that signs and wonders would happen. Let me ask you, when we're persecuted... When things come against you, things that you disagree with, things that are wrong, is your first step to stop and pray or is your first step to fight? We need to pray. Somebody say amen this morning. Okay. We need to pray. Um, all right. Let me see where we are here. Um, when Peter was in prison, what was the church doing? When Peter was in prison, what was the church doing? Well, Acts chapter 12, it says that they were in constant prayer to God. Uh, there was constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And down in verse 12, it says, where many were gathered together praying. I want you to notice what they were doing. They were praying. What were the church leaders doing when God called Saul? Was also known as Paul and Barnabas. Well, it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. Somebody say, ministered to the Lord. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. By the way, if you ever lack hearing from the Lord, try what they did. Minister to God and fast and give up self. And tell God how good he is and bless God and love on God and watch if he won't speak to you. As they did, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me. And after he said it, what did they do before they sent them off to minister? Well, it says in verse 3, then they fasted and they prayed. Well, they fasted and prayed to hear God and then they fasted and prayed before they sent him off and they laid hands on them and they sent him away. I want you to notice fasting and prayer was a part of ministry and effective ministry. What does James 5 say we should do when we're sick? Well, we went over this on Tuesday night as well. James chapter 5, verse 14 says, Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him call for the elders of the church. Oh, I don't want to bother them. Well, then stay sick. 
That's, that's mean to say. But, but the words, I think sometimes if we just obey the word, if we just say, Lord, what does your word say? Just what does your word say, right? I don't even always understand why it says it. It says, uh, if anyone's sick, let him call for the elders of the church. By the way, two verses before that, it says, if anyone's suffering, let him pray. If you're facing opposition and you're going through a hard time, you don't need to call the elders of the church. You don't need to call the pastor. You don't need to call uh, the church all the time. If you're going through a hard time, but if you're sick, it literally is weak and feeble. In other words, if you're going through something and you're just not getting through it, you're praying and you're just not getting through this one, call a brother up. Call someone to help you through the situation. Right? Call for the elders of the church and let him pray, them pray over him, anointing him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. And notice, if, somebody say if, he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. What does that mean? It means sometimes sin is involved with sickness. I think it would be, um, it, it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be um, responsible, it would be irresponsible to say that all sickness is sin. I got a cold. <coughs> Where did I sin, Lord? No, but sometimes when you're fighting something and it's not leaving, there's, you're not seeing the supernatural healing of God happen. You do stop and you say, Lord, check my heart. Is there something that's holding this back? Is there unforgiveness in my heart? Is there something, my walking? what is something that I need to get right in my heart? But I want you to notice, he said, if you call for the elders of the church, they'll pray the prayer of faith and the, the Lord will raise them up. And if he's committed sin, the sin will be forgiven. In other words, he's not only released from sickness, he's released from sin as well in that, in that. Well, Jesus will forgive me. Yeah, but he also said you have elders that represent uh, the Lord in your life when you need when you need help. It doesn't replace the Lord, but it does represent. Okay, um, why should we confess trespasses or struggles to other believers? Well, I confess to the Lord. I left the Catholic Church. Well, you, you, the Lord forgives sin, but He says confess your trespasses. What is that? It's your missteps. If you're in a struggle and you can't get over that struggle. You need to find a rep, a person that you trust, a brother or sister, and you need to go to them and say, I am struggling with this, and, I, and I've been struggling with it, and I can't get through it, and I need you to help me and pray for me. And it says, confess your trespasses to one another, pray for one another. Notice that you may be healed because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It didn't say confess your faults to one another so that you may gossip, so that they can tell all about you. No, it's so that you can be healed. The point of confessing your faults is not for gossip. It's for healing. He wants you to get healing. And then last question in this, uh, before our last point, what did Jesus say happens when you agree and pray with other believers? Well, it says in Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. I've been... I've heard a teacher say one time, well, this isn't prayer. This is just agreement. Well, it, it is prayer because it says in verse 19, concerning anything they ask. What does that mean? It means prayer. They were asking God for something, right? They, so what do they do? They agree concerning anything they ask. That's why when someone says, I want you to agree with me in prayer, the very first thing I'll say is, what are we, what are we agreeing about? And if they say, well, it's unspoken, say, okay, well, I can't agree with you about unspoken because I don't even know what you're speaking. I don't know what you're saying. I mean, unspoken and all, I can say, God, help him figure out what it is he's praying about. But, uh, you know, but I am saying I can't agree with you. He says you have to agree because you have to know if what we're praying about is scriptural. 
right? So I usually say, well, I, you know, I can pray for you, but if you want me to agree with you on it, you know, could you tell me a little more of what I'm agreeing about, you know? So if you'll agree and you ask, you're together, you're agreeing, you're asking, the Bible says it'll be done. Okay, last point, praise and worship, praise and worship. This is an exciting t- part. You may think you know everything about praise and worship, but let's let the Lord, te- the Lord teach you through his word today, okay? Who did Jesus say that the Father is seeking? He's seeking because he doesn't find enough of them. You seek someone who you can't find, right? He says, but the hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such. Seeking who? True worshipers. Somebody say true worshipers. Would you say this with me? Father, (laughs) seek no more. I'm a true worshiper. Yeah, that's who he's looking for. He's looking for true worshipers. And it says, and how must they worship? Well, he says, those who wor- God is spirit, so those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice your worship, you may have a hand up, you may uh, have your voice that's lifted up, you may dance and you may shout and you may smile and all these things, but all of that is a sign of really your spirit, of your heart worshiping. Where you connect with God is spirit to spirit. So you have to worship in, in, in spirit and in truth. In other words, no pretend, no put on, no show, okay? Spirit and in truth. What did Deuteronomy say that people should not do? Somebody needs to hear this today. What did Deuteronomy say that people should not do? Deuteronomy 5.8. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under earth. That's why we don't have carved images in the church or in our home. That's why we don't have images of God or images that we bow to and worship because the Lord said not to. I know sometimes uh, I've had people ask me that, and I said, well, you know, they just didn't know. But I just said, you know, the Lord said not to do that because he doesn't want you to reduce. He's spirit. He doesn't want you to reduce him into an image. Okay? It says, and you shall not bow to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon their children in third and fourth generation, those who hate me, but showing mercy to, uh, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. This is why we don't have idols or statues or images that we worship. Okay? Jesus said people's words were on point, but what did Jesus say they were missing? Here in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, it says, hypocrites, what are those? They're actors. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people, notice this, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. They say the right things, they sing the right things, they're maybe in pitch, in harmony, they sound great, but I want you to notice, but their hearts are far from me. The most important part that God is looking is not our performance, it's our heart. It's not your performance, it's your heart. Performance is for people, it's not for God. God is not impressed with you. And God's not depressed with you. <laughs> you may say, I'm a depressed God. He's not depressed or, or impressed with your performance. But he is impressed with your heart. That's why he called Moses and David a man after God's own heart, okay? Um, what are some of the expressions of praise and worship in Scripture? Well, Psalm 47 says, oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God. By the way, I believe it mentions twice clapping your hands, and both times were accompanying with shouting. It wasn't just... No, it was no, it was it was clapping your hands with something coming out of your mouth. 
it's not scriptural just to clap your hands. It's clapping your hands and saying, thank you, Lord. Yes, thank you, God. Right, it's, it's clapping and shouting. I mean, that's, I'm just saying what we're seeing here, okay. Clapping and shouting. Um, Psalm 98, verse 1, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Why do we sing so many new songs? Sing to the Lord a new song. The Lord likes new songs. You must get tired of old songs, okay. Uh, he says, for he, I know he likes old songs too. For he has done marvelous things. He's saying, God's doing new things. Why don't you give me a new song? Okay. Uh, Psalm uh, 98.4, it says, shout joyfully. By the way, it's not just, oh, God, I shout unto you. No, no, no. It's not. What, what kind of music is that called? The guys who, the screamers. Yeah, you ever seen those guys? Yeah, that's not worship. Yeah, he said, he said, shout joyfully. Shout joyfully, right? Thank you, Jesus. Right? There's, there's, there's a, sh- a joyful shout. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Notice this. Break forth into song. What does that mean? I don't feel like doing it. Well, break out. Break out of yourself, right? And praise the Lord. Break out. Break forth into song and rejoice. What is rejoice? Well, it's joy, right? And sing praises. Uh, verse 5 says, sing to the Lord with a harp. Um, with a harp and the sound of a psalm. Uh, n- notice he says, sing with a harp. Well, that's how we can say that music and song will go together. Singing and a harp and stringed instruments go together. Somebody stands up and plays guitar and sings. Well, that's singing with a stringed instrument. Break forth into song. Um, excuse me. With a harp and the sound of a psalm. Notice they're playing a harp and they're singing together. We see that right here in Scripture. With trumpets and the sound of a horn. By the way, the horn, that's where we get a shofar. Shofar, those, those ram's horns that like this and... And, and yeah, that's those. That's the shofar. Nowadays we'd have a trumpet, but it's a ram's horn. That's where the shofar. He says, uh, "Praise the Lord with with singing and a harp and a psalm and and trumpets and a horn." God's a creative God. He says, "Praise me with all these things." Psalm ninety six verse eight. Give to the Lord the glorious name. Bring an offering. We talked about it this morning. One of the ways that we worship the Lord, one of the expressions is actually in our giving financially to the Lord. We bring, or it may be somebody came and they grew something and they brought their first fruits here to church. And they say, here, I want to bring my first fruits, you know, here to church. And I say, well, blessing over your, you know, over your crop and all the things that are, that are going on because you're bringing an offering. Um, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Notice, tremble before him. You ever gotten God's presence and you get like a goosebump or you get like, oh, man, I just feel tremble before him. In other words, you have the fear of the Lord. There's something that you realize is bigger than you as you're worshiping. You're not trying to tremble, but you do. Uh, Psalm 149.3, let them praise the Lord with a dance. Why are people dancing? Why are people moving? Well, because one of the things he said is praise the Lord with a dance. You go boogie in the disco hall or in, in, these, in these places and you show off all your moves. You get into church, you can't even sing. Right? I mean, enjoy the Lord. Open, sway. Somebody just, he says, with a dance. That's what they were doing. Let them sing praises with a timbrel. What's a timbrel? It's tambourine. Tambourine. <laughs> Don't bring your tambourine unless you're on the worship team. I have to stop and say that. I know it says it. I know it says it, but don't bring your tambourine unless you're on the worship team because this is a problem in churches, okay? I've been, I've been worship leader all my life, and people bring the tambourines in the, in the front row, and then some people bring the tambourines, and they can't keep rhythm. And then people are like, oh, man, who, who's the dude with the tambourine? Who's the girl with the tambourine? You know, I always say, oh, the tambourines, the, the, the worship team plays the worship. We'll have open worship nights, but, but, but tambourine's loud, Okay. Worship the Lord on your own with the tambourine. Okay. 
<laughs> and the harp, and the harp. That, that is a timbrel. And then Psalm 150. I want to look at this one more. Psalm 150. It says, praise him with the sound of the what? Trumpet. What's that? It's a horn. It's a ram's horn, a coronet, a curved horn, you know, shofar. That, that's really the literal word is shofar. It says, praise him with a trumpet. Praise him with a lute and a harp. A lute or psaltery. It's an instrument with ten strings. It's a lute. Um, a harp is a stringed instrument. We know what that is. A timbrel. We already went over that. Tambourine. I won't say it again. Uh, dance. Round dance. Twirling. You know, people will twirl. Um, you saw David do that when they were bringing the ark in. Uh, stringed instruments. That's the other stringed instruments. <laughs> uh, flutes, you know, or an organ. They have uh, wind instruments. I used to play the organ for, I think, 13 years in church, and we'd have all these different instruments and flutes and pipes and horns and all these, all these things, but it, it rep represents all those things. Loud cymbals, clashing cymbals, he says. So why do we have drums in the church? Because the Lord said loud cymbals and crashing cymbals, okay? And he said, listen, let everything that has breath, I think this is something that the Lord delights in because all of us have breath. You may say, I don't play any instruments, but you have breath. So he says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord so he doesn't leave anyone out. Um, by the way, it's important for us to, when, if you're playing an instrument, not to let the instrument replace your voice. Let the instrument accompany your voice. Why? Because there's something about your voice singing to God. I think the Lord even likes it, especially if you have a bad voice. I really think the Lord likes it more because it becomes, somebody say, like sacrifice, right? It becomes, sacrifice. it becomes something that you step out of your comfort zone and really sing out to the Lord. I like, I've, you know what, one of the things I prayed, I prayed just a handful of things about a church. I said, Lord, if I ever pastor a church, I'll tell you one thing that I really pray. I pray that we would have a church that sings loud. I'm not talking from stage. I'm talking in here. That, that I can stop and the whole church. And sometimes I'll, I'll be sitting here sometimes and I'm listening and I just close my eyes and I listen behind me of all the people singing. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. We have a church that sings to the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It's important for us to sing. All right. We're almost done here. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, therefore, let us continually Offer a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. He says what a sacrifice is. A sacrifice doesn't just mean uh, you don't want to do it. I know that I, I used to think that growing up. Well, it's a sacrifice because I don't really feel like doing it. No, what he's talking about was right before this, he was talking about priests that would walk in and offer bulls and goats and the blood and all those things uh, on the altar, and they would offer them up for the people uh, for on behalf of people, because priests represent people, prophets represent God, okay? They're, they're kind of a one goes up, one goes down. But uh, it says here in Hebrews chapter 13, let us by him continually offer the sacrifice of praise. What is that? Don't offer sheep, goats, bull, doves, blood. Offer praise. How often? Constantly. Offer praise to the Lord. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. By the way, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, it says that God has made us both kings and priests. 
He's made us both kings and priests to God, his Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we don't offer animal sacrifices, but we do offer sacrifices of praise. What is that? It's the fruit of our lips. Giving it. The fruit grows from the kind of tree that you have. What is it saying? Out of the abundance of the heart, Lord, I have praise inside, so I'm going to let the fruit of my lips give praise. People that have a difficult time praising God, they do because their heart isn't in a place of praise. Because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you have a hard time praising God out, out of your mouth, it's because you need to increase the praise in your heart. How do you increase the praise in your heart? You just start doing it. You start praising the Lord on a constant basis all the time. I will bless the Lord at all times. Instruments accompany our words, not replace our words. In spirit, not in the flesh, and in truth is how we should worship. And last of all, how should we respond to every single situation in life? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says this, in everything, somebody read this with me, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It didn't say for everything. Because you go through a lot of stuff, the stuff hits the fan. We have stuff that goes on in our life a lot. But he says in everything, in every circumstance give thanks. Stop and give thanks. Don't complain. Do you know you can't complain and give thanks at the same time? If you're a whiner and a complainer, always calm because you're so smart. You're always commenting on what everyone else is doing wrong. Then you're not a praiser. And you'll miss out on the blessing of the Lord, the presence of the Lord in your life. In everything, give thanks. What did you learn from prayer today? What did you learn about prayer today? Well, let me tell you what I hope you learned is that prayer is essential. Prayer is not just a part of your life. Prayer is your lifeline to God. Prayer is something that we should be doing not just daily, but hourly, minutely, secondly. <laughs> no, not secondly, primarily, <laughs> firstly. <laughs> we should be doing prayer. We should be praying and staying constant contact with God all the time. Can I ask you to do this before we leave today? Can I ask you to commit with us to 21 days of prayer? Uh, I'm, I'm not saying make some huge commitment, but would you, wherever you are in your prayer life right now, would you just take one step forward and these next 21 days say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw closer to Jesus. I'm going to get better at my prayer life. I'm going to know how to pray more effectively. Maybe you get in prayer and you don't know how to pray or you don't know what to do. Say, Lord, I'm going to learn. I'm going to step in. I'm going to learn. I want to hear from you. I want to know how to pray. Just stop and pray that with me right now. Say, Lord, if, if, if it's really you, if you really believe this this morning or you're really committing to it, would you just say to him, Lord, I commit myself for these next 21 days to step up in prayer. Open your hands. Open your heart. Say, God, I commit myself to you to pray. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast.